what's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture, and there is a lot to talk about this week. I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on, man? The movies, they're back, my friend. Demon Slayer, the biggest movie of all time in Japan, just set the record for biggest foreign language film debut in the United States this past weekend. The movies are back, man. It's happening. Yeah, and you know, we're going to be talking, I think, a little bit more about how the movies are back um, next week when we do our 2022 Oscars preview. So definitely hit that subscribe if you're watching on youtube.com slash nostalgiapod or listening on any platform. Probably go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod to find the best way to listen for your earballs. But Dave, let's talk about movies from this past year because the Oscars finally happened just a few uh what 14 months after the last ones mm-hmm. at last long last protracted award season felt like it was going on forever which is a funny combo because it was in a year with less movies than ever so uh i think it's made for interesting discourse but really just uh, less discourse than normal you can tell just the average person just less engaged with movies over the past year and it certainly reflects in the ratings so it's, it's a weird one. It's like the real heads Oscars, you know, only the, only the, the diehards were, were into this one. Uh, I will say I was pretty into this. Um, and, you know, I was into it for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, I don't think usually we know or, or the person who kind of is like the director of the Oscars is like super well known. But this year it was Steven Soderbergh, who has two awesome movies coming out this year that I can't wait to talk about. Probably we'll be mentioning those next week, or at least one of those next week. Mm. Um, And he made quite a few changes. He took the music out of the show, the music performances, moved it to the pre-show. I did not watch the pre-show. I don't don't know if you did. Negative. Yeah, not not worth it from what I heard. Don't don't need to see the song performances. You can listen to them if you want. Exactly. Good choice. uh, Pretty much her was nominated, so we knew she was winning. So whatever that's his life her wins <laughs> but, um and, and it was moved to the union station um and uh it's usually at what the dolby theater this year correct yeah yes. it was held at union station pared down no zoom allowed piece, as well which which actually i think made for a pretty cool experience and it was filmed like a movie i mean that yeah. opening scene with Regina King walking through Union Station with like, I don't know if it was supposed to be like the Black Keys type sound behind them, but a very Steven Soderbergh type rock yeah, song. With the, as, as the credits were going up of like, well, who you'll be seeing later in the evening. Yeah. And I was nice like, nice touch. Fuck yeah, let's do this. Uh, and then, uh, then the broadcast started. And Dave, uh, how did you feel about the telecast? Yeah. I mean, overall, I'm, I'm positive on it. I think there's there's things that work, things that didn't work, pros and cons. But overall, I liked it. In general, I liked the attempt to be different with it. I think this is also a great year to do that, where no matter how hard you try, you're not going to convince people that don't like the Oscars to watch it this year of all years, right? So just do what you want, really. Um, and as a result, you got longer speeches, which I'm totally fine with. Yeah, sometimes the speeches aren't that great, but sometimes it leads to better moments, and we can get into some of those later. And at the end of the day, I think we're watching this to watch people win and talk about their win or why what what makes them happy and all that. So I think that's kind of the, the whole point. And no one gets played off now. That's great. Um, 
and that, like the lack of zoom was a nice choice. I think, you know, the you know, satellite locations where people were allowed to be, they couldn't make it to LA. I think all that worked pretty well. Um, on the other hand, you know, may, maybe the lack of a host this year was more uh, apparent in certain moments in terms of like transitions and whatnot. You know, like in the beginning, Regina King kind of capping it off with, a, or starting it off with a, you know, like a speech and whatnot, and then going through an award or two later on, you know, like Riz Ahmed do the kind of the same thing. Those felt like well-handled moments and stuff, but especially I think the uh, <laughs> quickly becoming infamous uh, uh, finale to this stellar cast uh, would have been well-served if there had been a host present. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, it was giving me what I wanted. So yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. Not, a criti- I'm not critical of it. Uh, I do think the telecast could have used a few more like bits to it as well. Um, we really only got the music uh, trivia segment, you know, near the end of the show, which was also like right before the in memoriam, which I thought was kind of a strange choice to like go from this, like the yeah. one moment of levity to like, then this really heavy moment that also felt a little bit rushed. Um, you know, maybe, and I think that's also where a host would have been welcome with, it would have, I think, balanced out some of those moments of levity with a show that was obviously going to be a little harder given the circumstances of the year. Um, I also, I liked how it was really this homage to, uh, like a love letter almost to Hollywood and, and making these movies, you know, giving these people who are not really seeing actual moments on TV, you know, like actually showing some of the behind the scenes people, the producers, the makeup artists getting, um, like I feel like a real shout out rather than just kind of like a, a two second shot and then it quickly played off. However, um, I gotta say between Joaquin Phoenix and Laura Dern, uh, there has to be a, an in-between between those two uh, presenters. Cause Laura Dern just vamped and just like thanked every single person for being good <laughs> at acting. Who was nominated. I was like, Laura, we get it. They're all nominated for a fucking Oscar. Like, just move on. We know they're good, man. And then Joaquin Phoenix is just like, yeah, he's not here. See ya. And close down the show. Uh, right. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Other thing that I think quickly became a talking point was the, for the most part, lack of clips before awards and stuff. You got clips before animated feature and you got clips before songs, funny enough. But and then you got it for best picture, of course, which I think they did those well because they actually did actual scenes for each best picture nominee versus like a trailer cut. I think it's much better to just do a quick scene. But yeah, I mean, in, in a year where awareness of these films is at all time low as far as the Oscars go, having quick clips, at least of the acting performances, would have been really great. And I also think people that have seen the movies would be happy to see that too. Let me see Daniel Kaluuya, you know, like, yeah. Uh, no, I, I completely agree. And when we did get those clips near the end, you know, we, we get a, for the best picture, we got, I think, like a, a minute of each. We get the Kaluuya scene inside the church. I am a revolutionary. Like, mm-hmm. get you all jazzed up. Very odd choice by... Um, Rousey Young Woman. <laughs> yeah, Rousey Young Woman to do the scene where she spits in his coffee and he drinks it and asks her out. I was like, ooh, uh, tough look for our guy Bo Burnham. <laughs> also, wanted to just say... Uh, best international film actually showing the ending of uh another round another round i just was like what the hell like <laughs> it's like the moment of the movie and they just uh, they just put it out there interesting yeah. choice yeah totally 
So why don't we get into some of the the moments of people who won, people that didn't. And I think we have to start with what we've alluded to in Joaquin announcing Best Actor, which was moved to the final award of the night, which was a surprise. I actually thought I had missed the two Best Acting Awards when they announced Best Picture was coming up, because I was like, oh, this is the end of the show. It wasn't. And they haven't done this for over 50 years, so it was quite the choice. Really banking, I think, on a Chadwick Boseman win, emotional speech to end the show, go out on this right note. Boy, did that not pay off. Because Anthony Hopkins won for The Father, and Joaquin Phoenix said, up, oh, dude's not here, show's over, go home. Okay. What do you think, <laughs> Dave? Where were you at with it? Yeah, definitely an interesting choice, uh, especially given how it went down. Um, I was surprised to see Chow not win because as we said last week in our predictions episode, which you should have caught at youtube.com slash nostalgia pod, Chadwick won the SAG and the Globe and the Critics' Choice. Hopkins had only won the BAFTA. Hopkins as a British man and Chadwick as a black man, uh, the BAFTA thing makes sense. So no one no one was really expecting it, even though it's a great performance. And if someone was a place player, it would have been Hopkins. It makes sense, but I just wasn't expecting it. And we knew Hopkins wasn't going to be there because he hasn't been there all, all awards race. He's always been not participating. So it really led to an awfully dud ending, especially with the lack of a host to save anything. Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix of all people being there to be like, ah, well, darn, you know, like just being himself. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was something, it was definitely something, especially because like just, you know, 15 minutes prior you had, Nomadland taking home the big prize, of course, best picture. Normally, that's how you cap it off. Alas, not this time. Yeah, and not only <clears throat> taking home best picture, but getting Francis McDormand howling on stage like a wolf. I wolf mean, Walker. What a moment that would have been <laughs> uh, to close it out. You know, eh, I, I get the gamble, and I think, I think it, you know. Brad, I think his name is Brad Mills. He's a producer for ABC. Um, was talking today about how the gamble paid off, even though Chadwick didn't win because people are talking about the moment today. And sure, yeah, people are talking about yes. it. Uh, but certainly made for, I think, a very awkward uh, end to the show, which has had quite a few awkward endings, I feel like, in the last couple of years. Um, you know, obviously, famously, the, the Moonlight La La Land mix up. Yes. Um, but man, I don't know. Uh, uh, the risk, uh, I don't think outweighed what the way it can, kind of came about. And it really, I don't know if I would say I'm like angry about it. I think if anyone was going to win this category, uh, probably the only one I didn't want to see win was Gary Oldman. I, I think that was the only performance that wasn't up to the rest. Um, sure. So I'm not really mad about who won. Anthony Hopkins obviously d- destroys that role. Um, but definitely, I think, disappointing for. Chadwick yeah chalk it up to Sony Pictures everyone made fun of them for doing what they always do taking their sweet time to platform a release and in the process the father wins for best actor and it also won uh, adapted screenplay and that was not what people thought would happen yeah you know like I think there's a few like various levels of surprise at the down ballot awards but Sony, they uh, they took it home. They got they got what, two wins, three wins for 
for uh, the father. And yeah. Got to give him to him. You know, just to kind of wrap up the Chadwick thing, the Globes are basically collapsing on themselves at this point, and we'll, we, we might talk about that um, in the near future. But um, kind of funny that, you know, the Globes and the Oscars uh, each kind of held up much differently in the eye of uh, critics and, and people within the industry. Um, the Globes might have had the best Chadwick moment of the awards season. You know, in terms of his his wife obviously getting to make a very emotional speech for his his win for best actor uh, in a musical or comedy. So, um, kind of crazy, but this is uh, kind of where we're at. That might be like the last really great moment from the Globes. So, we'll see. Uh, why don't we we move on to some of the other notable winners, Dave? What stood out to you? What moments did you like? Yeah. So, just quickly, some of the the. the smaller awards the father won adaptive screenplay over nomadland and mank won cinematography over nomadland and those were various levels of surprises mank got second award also on production design in the process uh netflix won seven times uh last night the most they've ever won the most streaming services ever won of course uh best picture still eludes netflix and try chicago 7 a netflix Mm -hmm. film missed out on all, uh, any wins so netflix uh, a big win for them big night for them but they're still they still want that big prize hasn't happened just yet irishman marriage story chicago seven they're trying they haven't gotten there yet west side story we'll talk about it it's not netflix though oh it's not no I that's that was. steven spielberg movie uh oh. it's uh what, universal i forget i thought they no, had it's not another netflix one movie. gotcha my bad rewind cut that <laughs> what else stood out to you? What other moments? It's a Fox movie. Um, so obviously some historic wins. You had Chloe Zhao, only the second woman ever to win Best mm-hmm. Director. Of course, first woman of color in the process. Um, that's huge. And you have to think Chloe Zhao is not going to go away anytime soon. Of course, we'll be seeing her again end of the year with Marvel's Eternals. But uh this was a coronation all year. She swept the entire race and that that's, that's a big deal. You have to think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yajun Yoon was the first Korean actor to win an Oscar. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that moment was really funny where she was like talking <laughs> about Brad Pitt and stuff. And I think a lot of people were like unaware that Brad Pitt and plan B entertainment yeah. produ- helped produce Minari. So it wasn't just out of the blue. But yeah. still a really funny moment. I think the product of longer speeches for the winners leads sure. to great moments like that sometimes. <laughs> um, also, Emerald Fennell is actually the first woman to win a screenplay Oscar in 13 years. Hasn't happened since Diablo Cody won for Juno back in like 07, 08, whatever that was. And then uh, one on note I had, uh, Anne Roth, who won costumes design for Ma Rainey, is the oldest woman ever to win an Oscar at 89. And also on the oldest side, Anthony Hopkins, at 83, oldest actor to ever win. So, oh, and on the other side of things, Glenn Close ties Peter O'Toole. <laughs> Most nominations without a win with eight. Tough. Brutal. Tough, tough look. And also, uh, for me, a very cringy moment uh, in the music trivia for Glenn Close. Although a lot of people are chalking that up as a W for her. So, um, you know, you mentioned a lot of the speeches. Obviously, you mentioned... Um, uh, Young Jin Yu. Um, but I think 
there were probably three other speeches that really stood out to me. The first of the night that really got to me was Thomas Vinterberg when he mm-hmm. won Best International Film for another round. Um, man, that that speech mentioning his his daughter's passing, um, you know, shortly before the movie, or I think shortly after the movie had just started, um, you know, and uh, by a distracted driver um, was really moving. And definitely, I know I was getting a little choked up listening to him talk about it. Um, on a little lighter note, Daniel Kaluuya, um, in his speech, talking about how uh, he wouldn't have been there if his mom and dad didn't meet and have sex. Uh, quite the moment that I'm sure we'll be hearing over and over again in the future. Um, I thought Emerald Fennell's was pretty charming, honestly. Um, but I, I think really, like, Chloe Zhao's speech also was really well done. And, and you know, you've already mentioned how she's going to be a force moving forward in, as a director. Uh, I I just think she's a very thoughtful person who's going to be making a big impact. Um, also, J- John Batiste, and him and Trent Reznor yes. and Atticus Ross, one I thought was a really great speech as well. Any that stood out to you that I didn't mention? Yeah, I had John Batiste written down as well. And like I said, I liked uh, when Regina King and Riz were doing some like MC duties before. Also, the bong moment I thought was really nice. It ends yeah. with him holding up the envelope, but we would like to see him there as well. Um, yeah, I was speaking of Vinterberg. Uh, we just had news today that another round remake with Leonardo DiCaprio, English language remake, is uh, set the jet as of today with Vinterberg obviously producing that. He was, you know, leading the, the sale of that. And I think he was really excited to uh, have this kind of story reach larger audiences thanks to someone like DiCaprio being attached. Yeah. So that, that that's kind of cool. Um, For sure. Definitely feels like there's more meat on uh, that bone. So that's cool. Yeah, I mean, any any last thoughts? Um, anything you think will be replicated from this Oscars, or do you think this will just be a one-off? That's a great question. Um, I think you can take a lot of the stuff like this, like, even like production styles, right? Like, I really liked uh, when Chloe was talking the one of the first times she was up there, not for Best Picture, and the way they shot it, where it was in focus on her like to the side and you see the audience out of focus. I was like, that's just not like a way they would shoot the Oscars in the mm-hmm. past. That's just kind of Soderbergh being in his bag a little bit there. So that kind of stuff, I would love to see more. I liked, I like the intimate setting thing. Obviously in the future, they won't do that. They're going to be at a bigger venue again, whether it's the Dolby theater or not. Uh, but I'm totally cool with experimenting with twisting up the order. Uh, losing song like there are there are plenty of things that are that are cool with this longer speeches you yeah. know um and i think there's there's tweaks you can make i think there's definitely a a lot of good data and learning experiences here for abc and the uh you know everyone to to take away so remains to be seen how big the oscars are next year when you assume most of the field has just been more broadly seen because people are going back to the movies again so yeah. If there was a, if it was their year to try stuff, this was the year to do it. Yeah, I completely agree. I think uh, I think they're you know cutting down some of the things that people care less about, giving more time for the show to breathe and more moments, uh, get some of those speech moments and giving people their shine. Um, I obviously we mentioned getting a host back would would be helpful to just kind of steer the ship, but uh, a little man, Rel do it. He could do yeah. it. But yeah, for real, he's great. Um, you know, I, I, the one other thought I had kind of coming away, uh, Riz Ahmed, really charming on screen. I, I heard people maybe murmuring, is this a little bit of like a, a Bond audition? Yeah. Like, like a suave. 
Would you like a Riz Ahmed Bond? No, I want a DK Bond. I want Dan Kaluuya yeah. Bond. I mean that. I, I love me some Riz though. Don't get me wrong. Put him in everything. I mean, if we get a Dan I, I don't know if Riz can, can Riz get physically big enough to be Bond convincingly. Is any kind of a short guy? Was Pierce Brosnan? I, mean, I guess he's tall, right? He wasn't really sure. intimidating though. I don't know. We'll see. Riz Anyways. is 5'8". I mean, I mean, you could fake it. Plenty of time they to talk about They fake Bond. everything with Tom Cruise. You can fake it. <laughs> Good point. We'll be talking more about Bond as No Time to Die comes out. Why don't we move on, though, to a little bit of uh, a little bit of music here. And your guy, Corday, who been a minute since we heard from him, uh, dropping an EP this past week, Justin Till ellipsis i guess it's like a double ellipsis a lot of a lot of periods here um yeah and you know just just a quick four minute or uh four song i'm sorry teaser uh only running about 11 minutes um yeah i mean when was the last time we heard from him what 2019 two years the debut album 2019 we liked Got a two lot gra- two grammy nominations off that a very quick rise for corday formerly ybn corday first time we're talking about him since the name change uh yeah, he had a few loose singles come out in the past year plus, the Parables and that song with Roddy Rich. But yeah, it's like his first like public acknowledge not first, but like it's a public acknowledgement that the album's coming soon. Here's a little taster, a little teaser, a little four pack for the fans. <laughs> so that that's what it is. I think you gotta take it take it for what it is, right? This is just a little tease, like that Joy Badass EP we got in twenty twenty. Yeah, did anything on this uh, this little teaser stand out to you or anything that you really liked? Um, I think the first track, More Life, stands out because he got a Q-tip feature and you just don't get a lot of those. Another example of an old head really co-signing Corday, of course, like Dr. Dre before him. So that was nice. Uh, I would say in general, you know, like what's up with thug that's that's my least favorite track that just feels kind of forgettable like mm-hmm. corday punching below his weight and also like not a good thug feature but on thornton street and also uh more life with q-tip i actually think those are examples of where if the song writing isn't like punched up enough you can actually see the limit of like the typical corday flow sometimes mm-hmm. it can sound a little basic from him yeah but I really enjoyed him on the second track, Dream in Color. So I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to concern Troll Corday. He's a really talented guy. But like I could just kind of hear that. Like Thornton Street got that dusty beat. Mm-hmm. And then it's a Corday flow I've heard before. It kind of felt very familiar to me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, you know, I think More Life uh, was definitely the standout track to me. I also um, just kind of think it sounds like a little bit different than the rest of the tracks here. So I think that's part of the reason it stands out to me. I'm not sure. I guess it's more toned down, like the bass isn't as heavy and it's just more jazzy. Um, But yeah, something like Thornton street, I definitely agree. I could hear that being like five, five tracks on a Corday album that he's just like throwing away to get some spins, you know, (laughs) or like padding um, the the track list in order to get those, those streams up. But yeah, I feel really good about Corday at this point. Like, I think if you're, if you haven't bought stock on him at this point, it's probably too late. Cause this guy yeah. is, it feels like he's kind of anointed to be the next big like star in hip hop. Sure. Part of a great power couple with Naomi Osaka. Gotta love that. And the celeb for out on one of the lyrics on here. 
Yeah. Uh, he was, I mean, he's the last guy I saw in concert pre pandemic 14 months ago at this point. Celine Dion for me, dog. We aren't the same. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Corday, we'll be talking about him when the album, album comes too. Out. Looking forward to it. Um, but speaking of a second album, Porter Robinson from the clouds from the clouds literally from the clouds <laughs> you know you know what's really funny about porter robinson um what what's I, funny about porter robinson well, well what's funny is my experience listening to him right um i i i think i listened to some of the tracks off worlds uh his you know 2014 <laughs> debut but I, I just like did not like in, internalize them at all because i always remember him as his like 2010s like you know, sounding like Tiesto, um, basically every like Kygo. major bass heavy. No, I mean he was he was heavier than Kygo back then. Um, yeah, what? you know, um, I mean, Ace Nectar pre controversy. Kind of. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'm thinking more along the lines of like a Vici like sounding. More... Yeah, okay. like Porter Robinson when he first came out, out where it was just like a very heavy bass. Yeah, basically like. Okay. A, a, just like heavier songs so like uh, i did not not internalizing worlds and listening to this uh that nurture his newest album coming out seven years after his debut i just was like this is a total 180 from this guy but obviously there's more of a transition going back i gave worlds a, a spin like at least a couple of the tracks off it and mm-hmm. it's a pretty natural progression where he's at with this um and he seems just like a very thoughtful artist at this point and that you know in, in reading about his struggle over the last seven years to make music that felt meaningful that i think this makes a lot of sense what i'm saying because he kind of took the music he was making back in the early 2010s that gained him a lot of fame and notoriety from the edm world and he pretty much like rejected it and said like this is too yeah. formulaic this is not fun and it's not created to me and he's gone in a totally different direction and, and nurture is certainly a different direction did you like it dave i did like it i definitely liked it a lot more than the world stuff i went back and listened to some of those big hits like goodbye to a world and sad machine and like yeah it just sounded like generic 2010 zdm to me hmm. makes sense i didn't really recall it and you flash forward the nurture porter taking a long layoff, blowing up at a very young age, so taking a lot of time to grow, I guess, and getting to this, and it's like, he's playing piano. He was arranging this whole thing. He's singing on it. Those are all his vocals. He'd pitch up his vocals to make him sound like feminine if he needed to, but like, I was I was impressed with the, pro- the, the product because I was like, this is not what I expect from someone who I just kind of I had previously looked off as just, you know, another another one of the DJs that all sound insane to me. Yeah. And it's actually really funny to see like he actually made a second album because a lot of those DJs that you think of like that, a lot of times they don't even make albums. Like I was actually looking like Martin Garrix, he's been the DJ mag what top five ever since he debuted, like the last like seven years, he's been in that top five, number one many times. He doesn't have a debut album, you know, and like criticisms that list aside, like it, it's kind of the EDM world is interesting in that regard, right? It's like you don't need to actually make lots of like studio records because you're going to play clubs and you're just going to remix and do live sets and mm-hmm. play other people's shit, you know? 
So it was actually kind of cool to like read read the press from Porter about his like long process making this. And this album was supposed to come out in September, delayed. He had his live show. What was it a big Midnight Sky mm-hmm. last year that he, I think he just recently did this past weekend as well. And definitely seems to have like a section of fandom that's crossed over with him into this new new realm. And I I mean again not like a huge EDM person in terms of like keeping up with it, but some like the early singles, like Look Up at the Sky, like that that doesn't sound like twenty tens EDM to me. That sounds like Owl City, if anything, you know? It's like definitely yeah. different. Yeah, no, Owl City, Passion Pit, uh yeah, it feels it feels even like some early MGMT a little bit, I think, uh, is, is a good comparison. But yeah, just, just to see where he came from, I, you know, one of the songs I was thinking of his first like big hit in 2010 with Say My Name, that is so 2010 like EDM. It's, loop, loop, yeah, loop. Exactly. And just like the drop, the bass, all very like, you know, of that time. And yeah, listening to this, this is a very like sweet, but like melancholy at times album yeah. um, and mm-hmm. really like kind of puts you through it. it. It still has some of the like Porter, I think staples of it being like chopped and kind of like um, disjointed at parts, but like intentionally to like, at, like kind of perk you up or throw you off like the, the natural like rhythm of the song to like disorient you. But I, I think there's a lot of really like interesting moments in here and, you know, probably the track that stands out most to me is the longest one on here wind tempos mm. that's just like a really beautiful song it takes me it just like really takes me you know in, into this like weird place in my head right where i'm just like how long is this song at, at one moment mm. it feels like it's going on forever and another feels like it's like over very quickly and the lyrics don't really make sense but it's still very like interesting i don't know i really dug that one that's so funny on my notes i wrote wind tempos meh <laughs> hey different strokes for different folks we already established we're not the same here today um what, what were the checks that stood out to you yeah i think it's really because i was really high on look at the sky like and because that's the second song on the album oh, i hadn't gotcha. heard as a single it just kind of like took me by surprise and wind tempos i think is just a little softer a little a little quieter yeah. relatively speaking so Fair. uh also i should correct myself his live events called secret sky not midnight sky uh, Midnight Skies, the Netflix movie with George Clooney. <laughs> um, Not nominated for the Oscar. No. I, I I liked his production on Dull Scythe. He's really like jamming out on the beat pad. It kind of reminded me of Kanye when he would play Runaway Live, where he would like bum 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 bum, mm. you know, before he would actually do the iconic, iconic keys, you know? Oh, man. <sighs> Bringing me back here at these moments. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think there's a couple of, of really like interesting moments on here. Musician is pretty autobiographical Another single um but i think a standout this one is very passion pity to me um like you know like the the quick sense the quick drum uh kit um but very just like upbeat like you're in like a video game almost at times dude for the first track life like i wrote reminds me of zelda yeah oh dude that's a good one yeah you know i was thinking like <laughs> This kind of feels like adult, like Roblox music almost. Like, I don't know if you've ever played that, like those games. Yeah, I know but, it is, yeah. Um, just like it feels like you're in that kind of world, but it's also like real nice. And like the first track, Life, like such a nice like uh, string section to begin it. Really like 
unexpected way to start the album, but builds really nicely off that. Um, I don't know. Any other moments or songs that stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, like I said, look out the sky, just like that, like pulsing bass, but it's like really like horn heavy. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it just it just feels different than what I expect from from someone as mainstream as he is. Uh, should note that song, "Look at the Sky," uh, got all the way up to forty three on Billboard Hot One Hundred back in February. It's been pushed the radio, so I wanted to talk on the boost here. But either way, that's a uh, no small feat, I think, to like chart when you're not like you know DJ Snake or something. So, yeah. especially because again, like, Porter Robinson not exactly been around in a mainstream way. You know, like obviously his hardcore fans were really into Secret Sky last year, but it seems like he kind of just went away for yeah. the most part in the lead up to this album recording. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because what Shelter with Maddie on probably his biggest like commercial success came out two years after um worlds and haven't really uh seen him do anything like super like commercial sense that i mean maddie on i guess is not super well known but i feel like well enough in the edm circle where you know it's two big names um but yeah i think this is just kind of looking at some of the streaming numbers coming along with some of these singles to start it seems like he's doing pretty well here and i mean you you can't you spoke to this point already but uh I think we really give a lot of credit to EDM artists that are trying to like do something or say something that's beyond the conventions because it feels pretty, I won't want to say easy, but there definitely is a formula and he speaks to this and this is like a real album. Like he's talking about shit. He's really like going into his experience with depression and anxiety over the last seven years. So, and he did everything himself. Amazing. Yeah. So definitely give it a listen, nurture, we co-sign it. Uh, I'm sure Porter Robinson's going to be very excited to hear a positive review from us. <laughs> Dave, why don't we move on to something we're also excited about? And we called it Master of None Season 3. We back. Go check that out. Um, you know, actually, right before we recorded on Monday the 26th, Aziz on his social media dropped first trailer for Master of None. Um, I believe he also gave a date which I yes. don't May 23rd, a Sunday. Ah, well, it's Netflix, so whenever you want to watch it, it'll be there after May 23rd. But um, yeah, you know, the interesting thing about this trailer, not a lot of Aziz in here. It seems like it's really following Lena Waite. Right, so the reporting leading up to Master of None returning for a season three after four years off the air was that we're getting six Five. Five episodes. Lena Waithe is the start, and Aziz directed. They wrote everything together, but this seems to be solely focusing on Lena Waithe's character, Denise, as well as seemingly her relationship with a new character played by Naomi Aki. Yeah. And got the trailer, got the release date now. And as you said, not that we call it, so we called it, but we were talking about it because there was a report in January from Chortle, which is obviously not a well-known uh, source for anything but they had this before everyone else so kudos to them and i just tip my hat to netflix and lena waith and aziz and alan yang because no one knew of the f- blessed thing about them actually making this there was speculation just because there was always speculation about the show it's popular show but like no one knew they made the show and if people knew no one no one leaked it and that's just increasingly uncommon 
So that's yeah. really cool. Definitely really cool. Um, and also getting Naomi Aki, really cool. You know, we, we liked her from the end of the fucking world. The second season, we were excited to see her in Star Wars, the Rise of Skywalker, yeah. a bit disappointed by her. Uh, Saw her for a second or two. <laughs> yeah, her showing in that. But, um, you know, exciting to have some, uh, you know, up and coming young talent in here. It's interesting uh, reading the comments under Aziz's social media posts. Everybody's like, oh, I want to see what happened with Devin, Francesca. You know, that ending season two really left me uh, a limb here. I need to know what happened. Um, I don't think those people really understand what Master Nun's going for. Because uh, right. while certainly the show had some conventions in terms of, you know, following like a traditional love story, you know, will they, won't they kind of thing between Dev and Francesca, the show has always been about telling these unconventional modern love stories. And I think following Denise and, uh, you know, her story, I'm forgetting the name of the Thanksgiving episode with her. It was called Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. There you go. Where they uh, won the Emmy. Yeah. Um, that's, that's where the show is at its best when it's doing things like that, that are these, you know, exploring these stories in interesting ways that we don't typically see on television. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, Lena Waite, I, I mean, she gets all the credit for being one of the, like, I think one of the uh, main forces in pushing the show in a more creative direction, telling more interesting stories in season two. I, I'm all in on this. Give me the, the Denise story. I want to see more. I mean, you see Devin in the trailer, so he's obviously going to be there, but uh, I'm, I'm ready to follow Denise and her story. How do you feel about that choice? Yeah, yeah, it sounds cool. I mean, obviously, I, was, I would love to see Aziz just be in things, so I uh, would love to get more of that. It's funny, before the trailer came out, before this was teased, uh, all the reporting said that it, that it was being called Master of None Presents Moments in Love, which at the time I was like, oh, maybe they're not going to call it season three and leave that open. And then as season three happens, you might get um, Dev coming back yeah, and some of the other guys coming back. But now I think they are calling it season three. Like you go on the Netflix YouTube channel, it's called Mastered on Season 3 trailer. So it's like, oh, okay, so this is it. Yeah. Um, but either way, I mean, yeah, the show went on quite the, you know, arc when it changed from season one to season two. So I'm not surprised to see this again. And, it, you know, creatively, uh, it's probably what they wanted to do. You know, yeah. as he's directing and writing and not acting. Okay. Uh, he probably was an active participant in making that decision. <laughs> so let's just evaluate it for what it is. Yeah, and you know we haven't really seen a lot of uh, Aziz doing stuff. We talked about his comedy special uh, after allegations mm -hmm. of sexual uh, abuse. So check mm -hmm. that out. Misconduct. But, yeah, I think he uh, probably wants to be a little bit more behind the scenes right now. And I think that's okay. You know, let let him be creative in the way he wants to be creative and uh, lean away. Uh, certainly not a uh, bad second choice to be leading the season. So we're yeah. all in on it. It's also coming out right at the end of the Emmy window. And I think it's notable because the first, you know, four months so far, 2021, a little softer as far as new releases and TV is go going. Understandable, just because I think the pipeline just dried up. There was basically no shows left that were finished, you know, after like Bridgerton and yeah. <laughs> like Lupin, you know, like there wasn't a whole lot left. Everything, they're kind of just waiting to make stuff again, you know. So the fact that they get to sneak this in, you know, who knows? Maybe this becomes a big Emmy darling for Netflix. Mm, that's, that's not a bad uh, observation. We'll, we'll keep track of it. Why don't we shift gears, though, to Disney, Disney Plus. 
where Falcon and the Winter Soldier wrapped up. And Dave, do you think this is going to be an Emmy darling for Disney Plus? Oh, I certainly hope not. <laughs> oh, I think after WandaVision, um, I don't think this is going to be the Marvel yeah. show that wins them awards. Right. Loki, of course, will be coming out after the Emmy cutoff. But uh, can't wait for Loki. Yeah, genuinely excited for that. It's a very nice trailer. But uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, sixth season, or sixth episode season. And we had concerns after the first episode. And those concerns were uh, realized, unfortunately. And uh, I was pretty disappointed with the season overall. There's definitely things I like, but uh, it uh, had a lot of the things I had feared, unfortunately. Not that it wasn't entertaining. Even like moment to moment, for the most part, I was having a good time with it. But just like, there's just so much that just kind of falls apart when you really examine this season of TV, which is unfortunate. Yeah, it it, it was fun to see Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan get to like, basically being like a buddy cop for a couple episodes. Um, right. And I, and I think some of the action stuff was good, you know, with Marvel, most of the time it's pretty good at this point. Um, I, I don't know how I felt about the, uh, <laughs> I mean, the power broker thing, I think we'll talk about just like kind of bizarre. I don't know if I'm totally understanding mm-hmm. that. And also the, the villains of the season. I think I, flag smashers yeah i think i struggled carly. with a little bit yeah carly oh, I, mean, I, I incredibly struggle with them that's a <laughs> big point and the thing is i don't know if it's i don't know if it's performance based it's more so just uh i thought aaron kellyman was fine i think it's just like conceptualized uh not to the fullest um and yeah i think it really falls apart with the final episode unfortunately where it really just kind of devolves into what the worst marvel movies always devolve into which is just like punching your way out of things and you get a really um goody goody speech from sam uh, to mm-hmm. congressmen in front of a large crowd and i asked like this is really on the nose and then mm-hmm. it wrapped up so yeah uh, ha- ha- tell me what you didn't like what were your problems with the season yeah so there's a lot of stuff right um i think so we talked about after the first episode that didn't exactly have a lot of confidence that Marvel would tackle uh, the race angle in a meaningful way, namely a black man, Sam Wilson, Anthony Mackie's character, taking on the mantle of Captain America after Steve gave him the shield. Uh, people understand, you know, symbolism of that and why that would be a difficult thing. However, the show is like 20% about Sam. So there's just not a lot of time for this. You know, I think the Isaiah Bradley stuff had a lot of potential, but even that, like at the end, when he goes to the museum and Sam's like, see, I put the statue in here. So people won't forget your sacrifice there, old timer. And he's like really jazzed about it. But like a few episodes ago, that guy had like borderline PTSD and was like really like paranoid and distrustful. Yeah. So that just felt like it was kind of hand wave to me. And in general, I just felt like they didn't do the work to like really establish this beyond like Sam having a few lines here and there. Because again, it's barely about Sam. Mm-hmm. And like you said, that speech at the end, that 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 should be the whole like ethos, but it just felt very heavy handed because you're forcing it all in at the end like that, you know? It's like you yeah. didn't actually do the work. And it's really unfortunate because I think Sam being Cap is is, is cool. It's a good result. Yeah. He's, he's certainly a better choice than Bucky. 
And obviously the, the whole angle of a black man being Captain America is very interesting to explore and should be explored, especially nowadays, right? But like, it just doesn't feel like they had a whole lot to actually go about it. Because again, there's so many other distracting things uh, yeah. like the villains we can get to. But yeah, I just I was just kind of disappointed in how they handled it. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, just to, I think, correct myself a little bit, when I, when I describe the speech as goody-goody, it's more so that it's a very Captain America-type speech. Um, and I think, like you said, the, the content of it was good, but I think the way it was delivered was just, like, very on the nose, um, not necessarily done with the most tact, maybe. And, yeah, I, I also do feel like certain aspects of the conflict of a black man being captain america whether it was that internalized conflict for sam um or you know like i think the broader uh issues that that may cause um within a country like america and whatever world this you know this is or version of the world that this is was kind of yada yada at points and then really like thrust into the forefront and yeah. you're right it should have been something that was just a running through line throughout the show but the you know reluctance to take over the shield and the trauma of losing you know steve rogers i think took up too much time uh, the show was probably at its best i'd say when daniel Bruhl just got to be zemo and be weird and slimy and you know dance <laughs> in the club or have yeah. a showdown at like a random bar but like that it's that's that should not be what we're taking away from falcon and the winter soldier soldier in terms of the best parts i don't think totally totally yeah i mean just real quick brule not that he gets to do a whole lot as zemo but he's like vamping and chewing scenery in a really fun way yeah he like honestly anchored those middle chapters more than anyone else so that was nice how he goes out at the end the door Milaj from Wakanda decide to drop him off at the raft, give him away <laughs> to a different prison they don't control. Like, what the fuck? That does Makes not no make sense. any sense. Why would they do that? They, <laughs> they wanted their revenge because yeah. he killed T'Challa's dad. Yep. Whatever. Strange. Um, <laughs> I like that fight with the Dora Milaje in the house yeah. with a, with a Walker. That was cool. But, uh, you know, similar to how, like, they yada yada and rushed through the progression of sam's character they do that tenfold with bucky remember oh, in the yeah. beginning where bucky's going to counseling mandated counseling and he has these nightmares and stuff and uh he wants to connect with uh yori he's like i believe he's a neighbor or something he killed the yori's son or something right mm -hmm. that is literally non-existent in episodes two through five well and, <laughs> and it comes back in six at the very very end and it's barely a conversation like they could that could have been a 10 minute scene they just kind of okay yeah they talked about it's bucky's on a on a better path now like, what that's yeah. it I, I i just wish you wouldn't even do it you know yeah. rather than do it bad um yeah and you know and the, it, 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 it was it was a mistake and, and i think if if they had made sam's journey into accepting the role of captain america and what that means for him you would have gotten that moment where he talks about you know in order to heal you have to go through the shit and that would have made more room for this but because they decided to sideline certain plots and you know put other things at the forefront of the show um and i think we should probably talk about walker uh in a second um it really, I think, did a disservice to both characters and 
had this rushed progression of character that like if you wanted to highlight these highlight these other things make it an eight episode series give you give yourself two more episodes to explore these but speeding it up like this i don't know if it made any sense what did you think about walker you mentioned him obviously he you know breaks bad somewhere in the middle now he's the agent um u.s agent what do you think about Wyatt russell in this role i like Wyatt russell i thought he did a pretty good job but and it would i think it was going down an interesting path you know seeing unhinged captain america damn near decapitate someone with the shield the bloody dripping shield great visual great metaphor for american hypocrisy when it comes to foreign policy yeah obviously it's on the nose it's marvel but like (laughs) i at least appreciate them going that way you know Mm -hmm. but then you watch the finale and he's like kind of good there seems to be no no uh i'm pretty sure he's no it's like no hard feelings though between bucky and him when they're like saving the day it's like oh he's just there he is you know he'll never be sam yeah, that's like uh, the whole point. The scene see. when he goes to um his boy's parents and, and, and like that I wish that didn't even happen. That, that was tough too. Yeah, um he also kind of fizzled out in a weird way. I was just kind of unsurprised and it kind of felt like they're just Marvel's keeping him on the board for, for future use. So we're not gonna you know spill the beans too much here. You got the tease with uh, uh Julia Louis Dreyfus showing up as an unexpected cameo as a Val. Uh, Fontaine, who, uh, you know, could be teasing Thunderbolts, could be teasing Madam Hydra. There's a lot of, like, potential through lines here. Now John Walker is officially the U.S. Asian character. He is in comics. So how this comes back into play, I'm not sure. We do know that uh, Malcolm Spellman is attached to uh, Captain America 4, which is in the works. No director is attached, but the showrunner is involved. So Captain maybe- America and the Winter Soldier is the name. They really, uh, really were coming up with some creative ones on that one yeah um so a lot of tbd here but um yeah the flag smashers right they're kind of our central villain like walker's almost to the side he's more of like an anti-hero at points and the flag smashers on their face i thought were interesting they could have been interesting the problem is marvel world building sucks for the most part it really sucks like you don't understand the situation of the world they're just telling you everything they're like oh when the blip happened everyone was happy your borders changed allegiances everyone's finances you know blah 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 and then huh everything comes back new world order i understand why maybe there's a group that feels like it was better before that's interesting to me but the show falcon winter solar did no no work to explain why carly's actually like motivating to people nor did it ever make her a sympathetic villain because she very quickly just became a killer and very extreme. And you're like, huh, your plan is to actually beat, like, improve the world and save people's lives and make everything better, but you're just gonna kill people and, like, become, like, a terrorist and stuff? Like, it, and, and also Sam's fascination with defending her. Like, I just felt like they skipped a lot of steps with this. And they really didn't make any sense at the end. Like I just, I felt like a huge missed opportunity. Yeah. I I think you said it really well. Um, Again, I thought Aaron Kelly as Carly was still pretty good, but what she was given to work with was just confusing. And um, there's a lot there to explore. You know, I'm, I am very interested in like 
understanding the world during the blip in a sense like knowing more about it yeah, but something. they just won't go there they just like mention these things but they won't actually show it um marvel's like only character they only can do character it feels like you know yeah it's it's i don't know why that's so tough for them either um but yeah no i i, I think there was definitely a lot there it's also just kind of weird that sharon carter just all of a sudden is like one of the biggest like bads and yeah marvel like what but she was blipped but she all of a sudden has this power like what well like, was she blipped i didn't even catch that uh i, I thought they mentioned that she was maybe i, I mean i don't know maybe i missed but that i was happy to see her right like oh cool yeah bring back zemo bring back sharon why not i don't care again i already wasn't super jazzed to do more bucky and sam shit so by all means bring the band back together i don't care yeah but <sighs> And obviously, it made sense by the end. She had to be the power broker. Like, who else could it have been? It could have been, what, JLD? It could have been someone we haven't seen. Like, it, I didn't feel like there were any other good options mm-hmm. at this point. Right. But it is kind of strange that she's just kind of like, like, yo, fuck the U.S. government. I used to be in the fucking surveillance state, and now I'm the exact opposite. <laughs> it's like, I mean, uh... okay, fine. But, like... And you know, if they if they want to take it down to a more interesting path down the world down the road, totally open to it, of course. But that actually kind of leads me to like the speculation about this season, which is totally unsourced, but it's just kind of heavily rumored right now that there was a uh, central like virus plot line involving the Power mm-hmm. Broker, involving the Flag Smashers, involving a Madripoor, and that was just cut due to obvious reasons. And there's like kind of evidence you can like look at YouTubers. They can kind of like point this out to you, like evidence of where it was cut around and kind of referenced and stuff. Like Carly acknowledges vaccines at one point. Like, don't know how how real it is, but it did feel like the Madripoor stuff. A lot of the middle stuff with Sharon, it, it did feel like kind of like uneven, like almost out of place. And I guess you have to wonder, like, what would this season of TV have looked like? Totally unencumbered from both COVID production delays, but also COVID changing yeah your narrative right yeah no that i think that's certainly interesting uh i I don't know if i would have saved it but it might have been a little more interesting i don't know uh you mentioned jld and i just kind of want to start wrapping this up because i think we're giving this a little too much time in my opinion um (laughs) (laughs) jld shows up playing uh valentina allegra de fontaine yeah basically like a an evil nick fury type character it seems like sure what, what, what do you think? What's your temperature on her? I mean, she's just doing JLD things. It's not like it's a twist on her, what we expect from her. But I mean, I'm down, sure. Again, yeah. they hire the best people. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what she does with it. I just am like, I don't know. Uh, to bring her in in Winter Soldier, I'm just like, or uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I'm like, ah, man. I don't know. I would have liked yeah. it more if maybe she showed up in like Loki or something. Maybe I'd be more jazzed about it. Sure. I mean, again, in general, like that's another piece of it being barely about Sam because he had all these other things. And how much of this was what right. Malcolm Spellman and Carrie Scoglin wanted to do, and how much of that was Kevin Feige? We don't know. Good point. Uh, we have, I think, what five, seven weeks or something like that before Loki. Right. Yeah. So. Then uh, after another week, the uh, Disney Plus show will be uh, Star Wars: The Bad Batch, the Clone Wars spinoff. So there'll be no Marvel and for a while. But um, yeah, Loki in uh, early June, June eleventh, I think it is. Enjoy the time off for Marvel, folks. Uh, let's switch gears to another streaming service, Netflix. 
dropping a new movie this weekend, Stowaway, uh, written and directed by Joe Penna. My guy. <laughs> I Is saw he? his last movie, Arctic. Uh, yes. Very good. Gotcha. Well, check out Arctic. As um, Mickelson survives the Arctic by himself. It's uh, well done. Good movie. Interesting. It actually sounds pretty good. Um, yeah, and, and this is a very... It sounds like the Mickelson movie is a pretty uh, solo-ish movie. Very, yeah, like, it is. one person. And this is four people. And four pretty big stars. I mean, I guess uh, Shamir Anderson, probably lesser known, but Anna Kendrick, Daniel Day Kim, and Tony Collette. Mm-hmm. Pretty well-known people. And uh, this is a very... Um, interesting i'd say interesting movie because it really makes you think and put yourself in the situation of these four astronauts who or i guess three astronauts who go to space find that there's a stowaway someone that was Ah, in the shippers um unknowing to them and because they had only planned for three people to do this two-year journey and now they have a fourth person they're going to run out of oxygen very quickly and they need to figure out how they're going to survive right pretty interesting plot and i i think really well acted for the most part um and maybe there's some scenes that weren't so well acted but we'll talk about that um i don't know where were you overall with this movie like how were you feeling after watching it yeah i really didn't know much about it going in Uh, obviously the title suggests at least a piece of it um but i was on one hand i was struck by anna kendrick doing something a little different speed for her. You know, I, I actually think between this and Simple Favor and, and Love Life, she's kind of finding her footing again after like really exploding in the early 2010s and then kind of just really doing anything she could for a bag for a while. Like, remember how many commercials she was in? Anna Kendrick, whatever she wanted, to do, whatever you wanted her to do, she would do it for money, seemed like. Yep. But um, I think this is a little different speed for her. And I... I liked it. I thought the set design was pretty impressive. This was actually a Sony movie shot in 2019 that Sony sold to Netflix back in December for US and sold to Amazon Canada. And I think that kind of shows it didn't feel like a traditional, like stereotypical Netflix film. Like it didn't actually like come across as cheap or anything. Uh, but I would say that there's details of the plot that are just kind of vague and confusing that get in the way of stowaway being like a great sci-fi movie but i think set design performances overall premise are enough that it's you know pretty solid sci-fi and yeah you know between this and the midnight sky uh, netflix seems to have a little little, nice little runway of these lately yeah you know this is a uh what 80 minute movie something like that and I, i think if it had been any longer i really would have been like all right really stretching this this concept out i think it even could have been maybe like an, an hour and gotten everything you know uh that they wanted to accomplish everything that they wanted to but i definitely think it, it raises some interesting questions um yeah, it, like it, ethics know, yeah ethically morally um what's the right thing to do um it, you can sympathize with every character you know in this which i think also is nice it's not there's no like villain so to speak it's like everybody is just trying to figure out this horrible thing and um yeah i i thought like you said it looked great even the cgi except for maybe the very end with when anna kendrick Mm -hmm. 
it makes her decision to go out and sacrifice herself. I thought that was a little corny. <laughs> um, I don't know. Something about it was weird to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought the rest of it looked great and, you know, act, acted pretty well. So I was like, this is a, a very like B level movie, but I'm like, I'm down with it. This is a good one. Yeah, totally. I would say like the, the skywalk scene, uh, very reminiscent yeah. of midnight sky because they had a very similar scene. Oh, you're doing kind of a skywalk out in space something inevitably will go wrong asteroids solar storm what could it be right Pick one something yep. will happen you know it's familiar but uh it's okay yeah but i was just kind of confused about like what wh- why did we have to sacrifice down day kim's research like like well also how the fuck is there a stowaway on your space launch like there's just some questions they kind of hand wave but uh yeah the the stowaway it, part it's just... always entertaining so I, like you don't like dwell on it See, I, when they were going the angle of this guy might have like stowed away on the ship intentionally, I was like, ah, this is right. This is good. That's what I thought was going to happen. Yeah, like, I was excited. Like he was like see. mischievous or something. Yeah, no, he's just this nice guy who I guess got stuck in a spacesuit yeah. inside the ship. I don't know. That was, that was strange. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, from what I understood, Daniel Day Kim's research, his character's name was David. David Kim. Um, it's <laughs> just called his actual name, but David Kim, from Minari, David yeah, Kim. his re- his research uh, was able to like produce oxygen if yeah, used algae. in a certain yeah. way. Oh yeah, I guess so that they were like, we'll yes. use half of it and they'll give us a little bit more time. It's like, mm, okay. I mean, I understand. I get it. And again, you understand everybody's motivation. Like, five years, right. this guy's life are down the drain now because of this, and he's on this two year space thing for no reason but uh you want me to survive bro like that's that's number one in all this you have to mm-hmm. be alive in order for the research to matter gotta say we got a scene of 3d printing in action and i just mm. love 3d printers in <laughs> in film we should get more of those like, okay. just build shit with 3d printers on screen i'll watch i'm sure there's probably a lot of youtube videos like that dave just <laughs> look it up production um, buys <laughs> yeah any any last thoughts on this um you know? No, it's fine. It's straightforward, but I was entertained. Yeah. Uh, you know, Tony Collette, like the first time she's been in a movie and not just been super creepy. So, yeah. Still good reaction shots, though, because that's what she does. Actually, I take that back because um, she wasn't creepy in Knives Out either. So, no. Yeah. Maybe. Good character. Definitely. And Knives Out, too. Looking forward to it. Um, why don't we move on to Mortal Kombat? Let's fight. <laughs> Simon McQuoid. I mean, so well, I guess why don't we start, Dave? Did you have you watched the Mortal Kombat from the nineties? I actually haven't watched them. I know the first one's a big cult film, mm-hmm. uh, and second one's very widely derided. <laughs> but I actually had, like no awareness of those as a kid, even like I yeah, I just totally missed them. Yeah, me neither. Uh, I feel like like I've seen some of the clips like on YouTube, just looking it up. Like, eh, it's mm-hmm. kind of whatever to me at this point. Yeah. Uh, so I was going into this very much like I know the video games. I'm not like a big fan of the video games. I think I know like the main characters, a lot of the people you see in this, um, which was nice. You know, I wasn't didn't feel totally lost. Um, and I was like, this is probably going to be some gory action stuff. So let, let's see how it goes. And I feel like I got pretty much exactly what I expected. Um, I wouldn't say that it makes the most sense. I think it makes some sense i guess kind (laughs) of but you know you end up just kind of like transporting to worlds and having these outrageous 
battles and it's it's right. turn your brain off fun which is kind of what i thought it would be right so yeah i think you gotta think like it's a mortal Kombat movie made for people that have played the game like yeah. no one's gonna casually go show up to mortal Kombat. I, I guess people will but like this is made for the fans quote unquote you know so like you got i think i'd be in the right headspace to evaluate it like it's a it's a movie about mortal Kombat. um that being said they don't have the fucking tournament and i found that choice incredibly odd because like we kind of rush through a training montage towards the end and we have a different fight but not the tournament like uh like shang sung he's he's like cheating cheating we're not going to do the tournament we kill everyone beforehand it's like huh okay that's an interesting premise to like, go on the run then we'll have the tournament later nope i guess we're setting the tournament for mortal kombat 2 where they like go find johnny cage i guess okay so i just found that choice kind of interesting also another key choice is that lewis tan's character cole young is a brand new creation not a uh mortal kombat character we are not hanging out with Liu kang this time he's on the side yeah um I thought that was a fine choice. Like, you know, they're obviously are probably going to like build him into the games moving forward. So you're introducing a new character. Um, But yeah, I I did think the tournament didn't really make a lot of sense. Like why you would just like avoid that, but they're probably setting that up. I assume for some sort of sequel. Um, And I, I can't imagine, you know, the people who are attached to this other than, uh, I don't know what Bokeem Woodbine is he is he was he actually in this? No, the guy no, just looks like no. Bokeem Woodbine to me. Uh, the guy who plays Jax, uh, yeah. Makad Brooks. Yeah, I thought that was Bokeem Woodbine. They're both yeah. bald. Yes, both bald and had like a deep voice. So that was pretty much all I was basing it off of. Um, no, but Makad Brooks, like I, I can't imagine any of these people wouldn't come back and do a second film. Um, mm-hmm. So. I don't know. It, it was also only made for like 40 to 50 million, pretty low budget. And that's crazy. Mortal Kombat has done well at the box office. It just won the weekend over 20 million here in the US and has done okay overseas. It's been out a few weeks overseas. So, in terms of like total gross, it's actually like equal the budget. Doesn't mean it made its money back. But between that and obviously already being on HBO Max, I have to think this is be quickly considered a success. And we'll get that sequel, which they very clearly were uh, leading towards. So, you know, that's a good for Warner and New Line, I guess. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, the dialogue is bad. I think we, we, we just need to say it. Like, it's not a well-written film. Most people are not going to watch this for the writing. They're going to watch the fatalities. And <laughs> Get over here. <laughs> Love that it part. Is it is that's so good. I mean, there's literally one where um, Joe Taslam, who I think is pretty good at Sub-Zero because he's just like a really good like guy yeah. doing his own stunts and his, you know, martial mm-hmm. arts and whatnot. He literally has like, I am Sub-Zero. And it's like, that's all it was. I was like, all right, we know, bro. Well, um, who's the guy with the hat that like is a blade Raiden. also? Yes, Raiden. When he, uh, when he, he's like fighting that pterodactyl girl. Man, this is how into the Mortal Kombat stuff I am. I don't mm-hmm. even know the characters' names. Sorry to like the big fans who might be watching this. Yeah, I'm not well, sure wait, either. In that showdown with that pterodactyl type girl, and he like basically just like cuts her in half with his hat as like a saw blade. I was like, oh, so no, that wasn't he... Ra- that wasn't Raiden. Sorry, Raiden's the li- the lightning guy. Oh, oh, gotcha. Uh, um, that was um, 
uh, Shang Tsung. Yes, Shang Tsung. That guy. That's yes. um, was it Shang Tsung? No. Yeah. No, no, no. That was a uh, Kung Lao. Kung Lao is the one who did his fatality oh, with the oh. spinning, spinning head. Yeah. Yeah. And that he's was, like, that was amazing. Perfect. He, what he's like, perfect fatality or something <laughs> like that. And I was like, yes. Like this is all I really want. Like just show me some cool deaths. And... Right. Uh, I like the prologue scene where you get a scorpion yeah. being killed by Sub Zero. Yeah. Uh, really, just because Scorpion's played by Hiroki uh, Sonata, who's like you know a famous Japanese actor. He's in tons of shit. Like, everyone recognizes him. But like, I thought like the the, actual, the the fight choreography was really good in that. Uh, and like the effects around Sub Zero's powers with the ice and everything, like really really well done as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was cool. Uh, I have to say. All right, we gotta talk about Kano. How'd you feel about Kano? Josh Lawson. He sucks. He, <laughs> he, he's obviously like really over the top, talking shit, being inappropriate. Yeah. Um, does his fatality on Reptile early on, but like breaks bad. What'd you think of the of that performance? Like, it's definitely a different speed for most of the movie. So, like, yeah, I, I think it like it, it, it's helpful. Yeah, Does that I, makes sense. I mean, I, I think he obviously was decent in the role. If I'm like, I hated him, which is why I say he sucks because the way he just yeah. like flips on them, like fuck that. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I don't know how good are any of these performances. I guess is like yeah. really like like you mentioned. I think Hanzo Hasashi, um, who's Hiroki Sonata playing Scorpion, and then um, obviously Joe Taslim as Behan Sub Zero are like the two that you like watch and you're like okay this is mm. like pretty good action stuff but like beyond that i mean like that no offense to mccod brooks but like when his arms get taken off and then like when he's like ah these will do and like is able to like use the iron yeah, hands it, like, it, it, it's leaning into the corniness you know yeah jessica mcnamee as sonya blade i was like eh, okay right. it's all pretty one no which is like fine like I'm, I'm not watching this to be like wow what a performance so i'm actually a big fan of uh Talanabu Asano, who plays Raiden. Uh, he's also in a lot of stuff, another famous Japanese actor. I always distinctly remember him as the bad guy in 47 Ronin, which is a very bad Keanu Reeves movie, like for me, like six, seven years ago. But he's like kind of more understated as Raiden. It's kind of like hard to get the performance because his eyes obviously are like constantly, yeah. you know, blurred out with the special effects. But um, yeah, man, I mean, it, it, it's a movie about people ripping out hearts, you know? Yeah, I mean, it is it's, what it is. <laughs> uh, it's it's gory, it's campy, but it's like fine. Like you, you, no one was going into this movie like, man, Mortal Kombat. Let's see if this can get a, a best picture dark horse here. And, yeah, you know, yeah, you know. So similar to I think our like uh, Godzilla versus Kong. It's like sometimes the movie just is what it is, and you just have to take it for that. So right. When we wrap up there, Dave, what we got next week? Next week, we'll be talking extensively about early 2022 Oscars predictions, many of which, many of such movies we talked about last year because <laughs> they were supposed to come out in 2020. So we'll rehash and talk about a bunch of other new movies. There's, there's a, a heavy dose of films coming out, which is going to make for a very exciting time for movie fans. Speaking of films, we'll also watch uh, Without Remorse, the Tom Clancy movie on Amazon starring Michael B. Jordan. So, love me some Michael B. Hell yeah. Uh, Actually, I've been looking forward to that movie. So, uh, watch that. Uh, Get your Oscar 2022 predictions ready. And uh, we'll talk next week. Peace out.